How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volur XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to episode number 574 of Smart Podcast Trashy Books. I'm Sarah Wendell. My guest today is Mimi Matthews. Mimi has joined me to talk about self-publishing historical romance and about being one of many lawyers or former lawyers who write romance. We also talk about chronic pain, recovery, disability, and the joys of rereading. Plus, she shares some of her all-time favorite historical romances. I will have links to everything we talk about in the show notes at smartbitchestrashybooks.com slash podcast. But I bet you knew that. I have a compliment. This makes me so happy. To Central Park Owl. Did you know that if you look at your travel history on a world map, words begin to appear in the paths you've taken in your life. And among the words in your route history are terrific, hilarious, and especially kind. If you have supported the show with a pledge of any amount, thank you. You are making sure that every episode is accessible to everyone because we have a transcript hand compiled by Garlic Knitter. And you're making sure that the show continues each week. You can have a look at patreon.com slash smart bitches to find out more about our Patreon. Monthly pledges start at $1 and bonus episodes, a pretty awesome discord. So if you would like to have a look at the Patreon, patreon.com slash smart bitches. Your support means a lot. Support for this episode comes from Wattpad. You might recognize the name Anna Todd from her number one best-selling After series, Massive Global Hit. Made into a movie, her appearances overseas cause lines around city blocks 
of readers eager to meet her and thank her in person for her books. Did you know she's written a new romance trilogy? It's true. The first two books in The Brightest Stars are out now. And if you are looking for summer reading, well, listen up. The Falling and the Burning are available now just in time to heat up your TBR. Set against the backdrop of a military base, both books feature emotionally powerful stories about slowly falling in love with another person and with yourself. Colleen Hoover is a big fan of Anna Todd's heart-stopping new trilogy. She raved about the first book, The Falling, saying, Anna Todd is my go-to for a story I know I will love and characters who will live in the heart long after the last page is turned. Look for The Falling and The Burning by Anna Todd and buy your copies wherever books are sold. Support for this episode comes from Earthbreeze. I have been watching highlight reels of people who go out in kayaks and they clean up rivers and streams. And when they show you the end of how much plastic waste they have pulled out of the water, it is staggering. And one of the most frequent items massive plastic laundry detergent jugs. I'm sure you're not surprised. It is really startling to see how many of those end up as pollution in a landfill or in the ocean. So when I was invited to try EarthBreeze, I was extremely curious. EarthBreeze looks like a dryer sheet, but it's not. It's a liquidless laundry detergent sheet that dissolves 100% in any wash cycle, hot or cold. There's no measuring, there's no mess, there's no sticky residue, and there's no heavy lifting because, that's right, no plastic jug. The packaging is lightweight and biodegradable. When mine arrived, Adam thought it was a book. And he didn't believe me when I told him it was laundry detergent. It's available by subscription and it's delivered to my door with my mail. And I can adjust, pause, or cancel any time. But does it work? Oh, yes, it does. You use exactly the right amount of each sheet, depending on how large a load of laundry you're doing. It's tough on stains, and my clothes come out fresh and clean every time. It dissolves flawlessly. My clothes look great. Right now... My listeners can subscribe to EarthBreeze and save 40%. Go to earthbreeze.com slash Sarah to get started. That's earthbreeze.com slash Sarah for 40% off. earthbreeze.com slash Sarah. All right, let's do this episode on with my conversation with Mimi Matthews. Hi, everybody. I'm Mimi Matthews. I'm an author, a lawyer, a dog, cat, and horse mom. Um, I write both historical nonfiction and USA Today best-selling historical romances set mainly in the mid-Victorian era. I'm probably best known for my Parish Orphans of Devon series, um, but and also for my New Bells of London series from Berkeley Penguin Random House, which is currently in progress. Um, oh, and my standalone novels, Work of Art and Gentleman Jim, which I know are reader favorites, so probably known for them too. That's fabulous. I have so many questions now. I have noticed that there is a interesting number of attorneys and recovering attorneys writing romance. Oh my gosh, yes. I have a theory why that is. I have a theory why that is. I'm going to share my theory. You can tell me what you think. So my husband is also an attorney. And when he went to law school, you basically learn a language, right? You learn how to think and how to write and how to understand legal language. But when you are writing something for the the world of law, whether it's court or you're doing a filing, there is a structure that you absolutely must follow. This part goes here. This part goes here. You can make any banana crackers argument in the middle there. You can say whatever (laughs) you want, but you have to follow the structure. And then inside, you're making an argument. And a lot of romances are basically effective arguments that these two people will live happily ever after and have achieved their relationship you know, the, the perfect relationship for them. Oh, I like that theory. So that is my theory. I think that, that that 
probably could be a hundred percent correct. And certainly like, I think that the way lawyers think and the, the way they craft arguments yep. and especially, I mean, I feel like all my author's notes are basically just defensive briefs. So. <laughs> <laughs> That's why they're so long. <laughs> it's funny. I saw reviewers say once, I don't believe any of this. It was with my, with an Indian hero novel, um, Siren of Sussex. And they were like, I don't believe any of this could have happened despite all the author's notes showing how this in history actually happened. I'm sorry. <laughs> and I thought so much for my defensive brief. It did not work. But yeah, you tried. I, I, I know they're like, I don't bl- care about your evidence. This doesn't feel right to me. Well, that um, feeling you're feeling might be racism. racism. <laughs> yeah, it was. I, I, I've said this before, like, and I always feel like I don't know if my publishers are like, stop talking about this. But man, I, well, I'm half Indian, which I you probably tell when I sent you my personal email when I was having email problems. Yeah. My real last name is an Indian last name. And this is the first book I wrote with a, a hero um, and his cousin who are literally the same as me. So I took some of the the commentary very personally more than I think I've got a pretty thick skin with all my other books because it's like, you know, I write it, it's out there. And after that, it's sort of in the hands of readers. To right. Do it and you, you, can't, will. you can't really change it. No, that's exactly it. It's not a collaborative process. You don't do a revision after all the reviewers write their reviews. But um, yeah, so that was hurtful. The There were a few that I did see early on because it was my first, it was the series debut with Berkeley. And I felt such a, I felt such a weight of, I really want this to do well. And yeah. I, you know, I didn't want to let anybody down. Like I wanted to show that I could do as good for them as I felt I had done with some of my indie series. And so I read more of the reviews than I normally Ooh. would have done. So there were a couple that was like, it just made me, somebody actually said it made me uncomfortable to see the hero and heroine together. And I couldn't put my finger on what made me uncomfortable. And I mean, that's sort of like, yeah. So that didn't feel great because again, probably oversharing, but there were a couple of people who said similar things like that when my mom and my birth dad were married when I was young in front of me. Oh, like, great to my, day to in my the mom. morning. Yeah. Well, people were, I like to think people are more sensitive today, but uh, I don't know. Yikes. Arguably. <laughs> but anyway, all that to say, yeah, I think that a book is a little bit like an argument for a happily ever after. Mm-hmm. And I think you have to show your evidence that this is a believable ha- happily ever after. And it's like telling a story. And I think a lot of um, when you're writing a brief, so I did ethics defense. And when you're writing, oh. you have something called a high-low brief. Um, and part of it, you're sort of telling, you, you know, you're persuading somebody that this wasn't so bad, what an attorney did. Um, and I feel like a lot of that is like just writing a novel, like writing a story. But I think I have to stop saying I think before I say everything. I the, I watched an interview that I did the other day, my first video interview, and I caged everything that I said with I think first. And I thought, gosh, me and my lawyer wiggle wormness. <laughs> no, that's that is absolutely a thing. And like my husband and I have had arguments about it because I'll be like, hey, do you think this? And he goes, well, under most circumstances, exactly. I think, yeah, it could go like, either way. Just, just say yes or no. And he's like, I like, can't look. do that. <laughs> <laughs> I find myself falling into it a lot. It's like, look, just make a commitment. Just say something definitively. 
but, you know, pursuant to our earlier conversation vis-a-vis these particular sections of code. And then, you know, perhaps exactly. under these circumstances, it really maybe does. it's possible. You know, yeah. I think law school really does take you in as a human and then they just break you down during your first year and start to rebuild you by your second year. And then in your third year, you're sort of churned out speaking a whole different language, like you're rewired. Yep. But um, I, I think one of the attractions of romance to lawyers, both reading it and writing it, mm-hmm. is there is a sort of security blanket in that happy ending that you're promised as a reader. Absolutely. And th- there's so much where the answer is unclear in legal things. You know, it could, like we are saying, it could go either way. Yeah. And there's so much in the cases, the more personal elements of the cases. Like I was in the Animal Law Society in law school, had to read some things, which I, I wish that they were not in my brain. You know what I yes. mean? That are upsetting things. Yes. And coming back to romance, there's a level of self-care with reading stories like romance, where sometimes they're the characters really go through it. They can go through some terrible stuff. It doesn't mean the story is not realistic because they have a happily ever after. I mean, they really struggle a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but you have that that security of knowing it's going to be okay in the end. And there's something really soothing to your brain about that. Yes. Especially if you're in a high stress job or your life is feeling really chaotic, whatever you do in life, yeah. you know, stay at home mom, school teacher, clerk at a store, whatever you're doing, there is something really um, healing about reading a romance. And I think that's sort of uh, one of the things that draws so many lawyer readers to it is like high stress job and really need this self-care where you can decompress and where the world makes sense a little bit more because it ends with this, um, there's happiness at the end, that it means something in the yes. end, you know, what what you've suffered comes together and it has some value in the end, as opposed to it all being, you know, for nothing. Yes. Endless suffering. Yes. I know one of my reviewers, Carrie, says that romance is a safe place to put her emotions. And, and as a person with anxiety, I completely understand that because no That's matter great way of putting it. what emotion, exactly, like what emotion experience, emotional experience I'm going to have inside the book, I know that it will be okay. So I know yeah. that I can go through those emotional experiences with the characters and know that it's going to be satisfying It's almost and happy. cathartic. Even the yes. parts that will make you get really, that you'll cry. Like yeah. a lot, there's some romances and even some of the most upbeat romances. Um, I can't remember the name of this one, but it's a Tessa Dare book. And she usually writes ones that are, they feel very upbeat to me. And I've read her in times of like great sadness in my oh, life, yeah. like after losing a pet or something. But she had one and there was just a line in it. They're walking down the street. It's one of her, is it her duchess? I can't remember, but the the heroine's a seamstress mm-hmm. and she marries a duke mm-hmm. um, because uh, the wedding dress of the person he was supposed to marry gets rejected and she's trying to collect money to get the dress. Anyway, but there was some scene in it where they were just walking down the street and they have this very brief exchange and I just started crying. Yeah, I've been there. <laughs> but yeah, that happens to me a lot with romance. And I really think that it's like a, a it's like a release of a stress bulb. Yeah. You know, just it, it is a very healing genre, which is one of the reasons I love it and why I love reading it as much as yes, as writing it. Yes. And when you are dealing with a genre that traffics so deeply in empathy, you're, yeah. you're, the books are asking you to have feelings. Like yeah. The, that's and I part think of that's the purpose. Really, yeah. I think that's amazing. And so it always, um, 
is disappointing to me when you see, which I'm sure that you, having written on this critically, uh, have already thought of this <laughs> in way more depth than me, but it's always extremely dispiriting when you see think pieces or like, you know, reducing romance to, you know, just the sex scenes mm-hmm. for women. Like this is just some titillating genre yep. that has no other value than like mommy porn. Yeah. Which I feel like, I think there's value in that as well. Even if that's all it is. Hell yeah. But, it's pretty awesome that books can exactly, you know turn your crank. It's pretty great. Exactly, I'm not going to knock yeah. that. But yes, yeah. it is very but frustrating. Th- there's so much, yeah, there's so much more to them. And <sighs> I don't like to see uh, people being so dismissive about it. Yeah. Um, Every February, it, I'm like, everybody get in the bunker. I've got wine. Yeah, Come on in. Yeah. We're just going to ignore the world. We know it's and coming. And the other thing is there's always something of somebody saying somebody, whoever is the latest person who's sold really well, is re- has reinvented the genre. Oh, yes. What something. is with that? That's the other thing. Yeah. Which I mean, I think, no, it's just that this is the first you're aware of the genre yeah. or you're aware of that. But it's like it is very different. I mean, from the even from the book's from when I was a kid, it's all, it's changed so much. Yeah. It's, first of all, it's constantly being reinvented. And at the same time, can you really change that much about romance? The formula is pretty clear. It's one of the reasons people read it. Yes. (laughs) The safety, the security of that, that formula. Yeah. And my gosh, if you find an author you like or an author that really speaks to you and they have a huge backlist, that is like the best feeling ever. That is the best feeling is the absolute best feeling. I want to ask you about publishing historical romances. Um, I have many questions. Sure, sure. You were one of the first authors who I saw self-publishing prominently and effectively in historical. Because as we've spoken about before we started recording, historical can be a very challenging genre when it comes to doing things differently. And yeah, reader expectations follow often a very white supremacist narrative that I think is still being unpacked. And you have published so many historical romances. Would you be willing to share like what led you into self-publishing historicals? Oh, sure. Yeah. It's sort of a roundabout um, story. So I I did. So firstly, I'll say this. I had an agent when I was very young. I, I wrote my first book when I was 13. Whoa. I got my first agent. I got, yeah, it was, um, it was a contemporary young adult romance. Um, though I was, you know, technically like a young adult. So I don't know if it was, <laughs> if it was young and I was just writing my thing, but I got an agent when I was 18, Helen McGrath, who's since passed away, who was, I found out later was like classified as a deal maker. I had no idea when she signed me. Wow. Um, and it was all really exciting because I knew nothing. I don't, my family knew nothing. We have a history of clinical depression in my family. It's just hereditary. And so I had a lot of sort of sadness. And when I was young, in addition to just general being young and all the t- turmoil you go through. Yep. And so I would just write in a sort of way, like that's sort of how I coped with any feelings. But then, you know, that book didn't sell. I wrote another book and it was a different genre and wasn't young adult, which was sort of the, the reason Helen signed me. And, um, things just sort of drifted away and I went to school and then college and law school and I was really healthy. And so I was out doing a lot of things and I just didn't write because I didn't have that need Mm -hmm. anymore because I wasn't as sad. And then after I got hurt and the failed surgery um, with my neck while I was recovering um, in 2011, 2012, I had so much despair because it was not getting better. And because I suddenly couldn't drive, I moved home because I wasn't able to function on my own. 
um, just lost all my independence. It was a really, really, really bleak, tough, depressing time yeah. to, I mean, losing your physical independence, just the basic stuff. I mean, just being able to drive, no. like I need something, I'm going to go to the store. Um, and so it brought me back to writing because it was like a coping mechanism. And by that point, Helen had passed away and I thought I, I'm going to just start writing. I had an idea. So I wrote, it was a contemporary romance. And when I finished it, I thought, well, what am I going to do with this? And I thought, well, I guess I have to. <laughs> I got a whole well, book I here. What do I do now? Another, yeah, I guess I have to get another agent. So I sent it out and then got another agent. And then the next thing I wrote, because I just have no consistency, was a historical romance. <laughs> and <laughs> and so she started shopping it. And while I was shopping it around, she was like, she sent out a thing from the literary agent. This is not the agent I have now. Mm -hmm. This was a different agent. And it was like, wanted to know where you were at on social media, what your numbers were. I was not on social media at all. Even in law school, when they were doing Facebooksters, I refused to join Facebook because I was like, it's a virtual clutter. And I knew people who had been on it and there was issues with like in the groups and people having problems. And I just thought, I don't need this in my life. I don't mm -hmm. want this in my life. Mm -hmm. um, and so my agent at the time was like, you need to be on Facebook. You need to have a website. You need to be on Twitter. And it caught, I was like, for 24 hours, I felt sick to my stomach. I didn't want to do it. And but once I started doing it, I thought, usually I always let myself sweat something for 24 hours of sheer panic. And then I'm immediately like, okay, let's knock this out. Let's get this done. So I joined everywhere and I <laughs> set up my website and I thought, at first I thought, well, should I write something on a blog or contribute something? And there was, I, the very first thing I wrote was the RWA at the time before it imploded. They had a Georgia Hayer birthday celebration and they were asking for people to write about one Georgia Hayer book. So I wrote about a book and submitted it. And after that, I just start writing a blog on historical, um, anything that interested me historically, a Victorian era, Regency era, but it eventually distilled down to only Victorian stuff. Mm -hmm. And I did that just while I was out on sub and I did not realize my blog would get so popular, but it got like a WordPress editor's pick and then it got picked up in syndication at Bus Magazine. Heck yeah. And then I ended up um, getting a book deal for two nonfiction books with a British publisher, Pen and Sword. And all this time, my book's still out on submission and stuff's happening. Editors were interested. Um, so nobody was like, this is just you're writing is garbage. We don't want this. But what they wanted was sex scenes. And this book was The Lost Letter, which was the first book I self-published. And I didn't immediately go that route because I was still in the mindset of just sell it because I don't really know anything about going the other way. And I even revised it at one point and added sex scenes. I don't have an objection to them in theory. I read, obviously, a ton of books that are pretty pretty heated. Mm -hmm. So I added a sex scene. It it sort of ruined the tension. It screwed up the whole arc of the story because it, it didn't make any sense. They also told me that all my historicals going forward had to have that for their publishing house that they expected them to be like Duke, Earl, you know, they needed to be titled. People wanted right. to read about titled people, mm -hmm. which mine weren't. Anyway, so in the end, I got an offer. And by that point, I'd seen so many people um, going the indie route or as hybrids. Mm -hmm. And I thought, I'm just going to do it and see what happens. I had a pretty big platform at the time. And yeah. so that is what I did. Perfect. Um, yeah. And it, uh, the best decision that I ever made 
That's like awesome. the best decision I ever made. <laughs> so yeah. So that was how it started. And after that, I did um, another sort of short novel. And then I did the matrimonial advertisement, which I think was like my breakout, my breakout novel. And then after that, everything's just been um, very busy. <laughs> yeah. And you've also, I think, set a lot of trends in terms of self-publishing historical. Like, oh, have I? I think so. Because when I see one of your covers, before I even see the name on it, I'm like, oh, that's a Mimi Matthews cover. Yeah, nobody had covers like, that's actually a funny story. Nobody had covers like mine. And again, it sort of stems a lot from my um, ignorance. <laughs> and because I was writing uh, a style of book that wasn't around at the time, which was, I guess you would call it the secular closed door romance. Yep. Um, you know, it's not religious. It's not, um, and they're not, there's a whole subset mostly in Kindle Unlimited right now, which I think they refer to themselves as clean romances, right? Just clean. Yeah. They're very, very chaste. No judgment. They're just like an a, a extremely chaste romances, which leads to sometimes me getting emails of people who read mine and think my books are dirty, ironically. <clears throat> but um, I know it, it's strange. Yeah. But uh, so I didn't really fit into that sort of mold. And so I decided I was just going to go with the more historical fiction vibe. Um, initially, like my parish orphans covers are just more like historical fiction. And I just like it better. Um, and I've done a little different for different ones, but in general, yeah. Yeah. It's all just based on what I like. I'm just a, totally motivated by selfishness. <laughs> you know, I, and it works. So keep going. <laughs> you mentioned focusing on your writing and focusing on your story. So I want to ask you about your latest. And now I'm concerned that because you are a rather prolific author that I have identified your next title incorrectly. So what is your latest book? And did I get it wrong when I emailed you questions? And if I did, I'm sorry. Appointment in Bath. Appointment in Bath is, um, that's the next book in my Somerset Stories series. So Appointment in Bath is part of a different series than the one I'm writing for Berkeley. Berkeley, my series for Berkeley is Bells of London. Yes. What happened with Appointment in Bath is it's part of a series called Somerset Stories, which is a new sort of idea because... The Somerset Stories series is purely fan service. Um, I had written the work of art in Gentleman Jim, mm-hmm. and I actually haven't done an indie historical romance since um, Gentleman Jim came out. Yeah. And because I signed that year with Penguin Random House, and there was a non-compete clause, <laughs> so I couldn't write anything else um, indie. Um, but uh, this year... Um, in October of 2022, Bells of, um, Bella Belgrave Square came out. And I don't have another book out, uh, with Berkeley until January of 2024. Ooh. So there was this really long, you know, period with no books. And a lot of my readers were not happy that they had to wait so long. And I thought, wouldn't it be fun? Because they're sort of set in this, my only two Regency novels are Work of Art and Gentleman Jim. They took, they take place literally in the same, same time frame and I thought wouldn't it be fun if their kids met and um <laughs> from both novels and I thought my readers would really love that and they've been so supportive of me with my health stuff and then my dad passed away in 2021 they were just so incredibly kind and I thought this is something that I wouldn't have ever considered doing before but I think the readers will really love it so I wrote what I called now book three, <laughs> like work of art and gentleman Jim are re- re- retroactively, retroactively book one and two. 
So I wrote Return to Satterthwaite Court, which was book three, and then Appointment in Bath. And then there's two more. The rights to all of them have already sold to to Audible and also some of the translation rights. So, But I hadn't anticipated any of that. I thought it was just going to be purely read some fun for the readers. That's fantastic. But, yeah, it's been fun. It's interesting to revisit novels, which I never thought I would revisit. And it's almost like um, having to go back and restudy my own stuff to remember how the voices were, like what sort of voices they had and um, how they looked and just to fall back into that. Because usually when I finish a book, I am like really done with it. I mean, that's sort of it for me. Yeah. Um, I don't think a lot about, you know, I'm very impressed by authors who can do a series for like 20 plus books and keep it all organized because I find it very overwhelming (laughs) to keep it organized. Well, if you have their kids, then you can just sort of be starting over in a way. You know, that's what I thought too. But in Return to Satterthwaite Court, I knew everybody was going to want to see the couple from Gentleman Jim. So they're in it a lot. And the same from Work work of Art. Um, But I'm looking forward to Appointment in Bath. They weren't, they had a few scenes, but they weren't as present. And I was like, thank God, because it's very hard. And it's very hard, especially because a lot of my books, the family members are, are not as nice. Yeah. And that's part of what, what, um, propels the change that the main character makes is, you know, various things in their family, complicated things. But when it's a hero and heroine from previous books, you know, they're great. Yes. They're, they part, they're the be, best parents they need ever. They to be great. The, the best parents. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you cannot make the kid be like, oh God, my parents, I can't wait to leave. If you would like to be a good parent, consider being the hero and hero of <laughs> a romance novel. You'll be perfect. <laughs> So tell me about Appointment in Bath. What are some of the things that readers will find inside this book? Appointment in Bath features the daughter of the villain from Gentleman Jim, who was an awful, awful man. So she's dealing with the effects of being raised by basically a bully. Yeah. And she has a little bit of a stammer that emerges when she gets anxious. She's mostly on her own, a little bit more in her own head, shy. Um, But she has a tremendous strength in her. The circumstances just haven't arisen yet for it to come out, but it does come out in the story. And then the hero, Evo Beresford, is the second son of um, the hero and heroine from Gentleman Jim, Maggie and St. Clair. And he is so interested in the future that a lot of times he sort of neglects paying attention to the past and and the the long-lasting effects that things that happen in the past can have, which makes him sometimes insensitive. But I've been describing it as sort of a Romeo and Juliet story, but with a happier ending. And always a good it's, note. It's it's sweeter, I would say, than some of my previous books. And one of the reasons is because they are the youngest mm-hmm. main characters I I've ever written. The heroine Meg is eighteen, and the hero is twenty three. So it was a little bit tricky for me, who I'm in my forties, writing. Uh, characters that young and trying to put myself into that mindset a little bit more and then also to have them making some of the mistakes you make when you're young that as an older person you're like what a dumb thing to do (laughs) but I felt like it was really authentic to the 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 way their story went but I'm hoping readers will love it if the response to the prior books in the series are any indication I think everyone will be very much on board I hope so. Sometimes I think Gentleman Jim was like the book that after I wrote it, I should have just retired from writing. (laughs) (laughs) 
I feel like it was the height of uh, my powers. And after that, I was just sort of like, oh, time to time to stop. <laughs> what are some of your absolute favorite historical romances, new or vintage? Any era is fine. I love, I do love Georgette Heyer novels. I don't love Georgette Heyer. <laughs> That's a really good way to put that. <laughs> yep. Yeah. I know um, exactly what you mean. Oh, yeah. And exactly the specific book. But I'm a big fan of Venetia. Um, I've I listened think, to that so many times. Oh, my gosh. Times. I find it really soothing. And I like the hero. And But I think what draws me to that one, and also Frederica, my other favorite, is it is a strong, competent main character. Yes. And she's sort of in control of her world. She's sort of sensible and no nonsense. Yes. And she's maybe not as experienced of the world because they're usually still pretty young. But um, And then the hero, you know, is always initially maybe cold I'm feeling or maybe irreverent in some way like Damrell and Venetia, but just the way that they warm up and show, you know, their integrity or what they're willing to do for the heroine, the heroine's family, a lot of times for the family as well, yeah, um, is really appealing to me. But I also am really a sucker for any romances that have a Gothic element. Oh, um, yes. Even if it's making fun of gothics, like Northanger Abbey by Jane Austen, mm -hmm. I love that. Um, or like highly dysfunctional gothic elements, like in Wuthering Heights, where they're both just really horrible people. But they are such a I mess. Just, they're a mess. I just think <laughs> the language of that story, like every time I read the language, it's one of those books that when I read it, I think, what am I even doing as a writer? <laughs> because that writing is just so, it's so beautiful and so lush. Yeah. And I really like to read that sort of evocative language. I recently read, it's not a sort of a, um, a fully romance genre, but it's got romantic elements. I got to read an advanced copy of Chanel Cleeton's new book, The House on Biscayne Bay. Mm. And it's like historical Florida, gothic, creepy house, hidden passageway. Um, an alligator who shows up in the road. It's, it's very creepy. And there's enough romantic elements in it that you sort of keep turning the pages and, you know, following the relationships. But yeah. I would say for just like, I don't want to call them basic historical, but undistilled historical romance, yeah. you know, not historical fiction elements and not so much the really older classics. I, I love Evie Dunmore's uh, series, League of Extraordinary Women, because I feel like that it has so much Victorian authenticity in it. Mm -hmm. And I got to read in advance of her latest Gentleman's Gambit, which is amazing. Um, and I also got to read recently an early copy of Felicia Grossman's new Victorian romance, Marry Me by Midnight. I don't know if you've heard of that. I one have. It's there's like a, a reverse <laughs> There's a hero with a kippah on his head on the cover. And I Isn't that amazing? in my chair. Yeah. It's a reverse Cinderella story I he's love sort it. of like the cinderella yeah amazing amazing and like i feel like things that bring more um diversity to the genre and also show i like to see things that show that london was a richer sort of tapestry than just everybody in mayfair at a ball yeah like there were all kinds of elements it wasn't just like you see a lot i think it, 
I feel like this is a mean criticism. I don't mean it in a mean way. I just mean like these are the things we a lot of times like to see in historical romance. And as a result, there's been a lot of them where it's either the London ball scene or sort of the East End slum scene and sort of, you know, gambling dens and things like that. But there are so many more work working class, middle middle class ish. They don't really have a middle class, but not titled people. Yeah. Um and all kinds of people. It was really a diverse city. Um, and I think there are so many stories that can be told with these people in them. And the more that people become used to seeing these stories and reading them, the better for the genre. Oh, I, I agree. Have you read The Benevolent Society of Ill-Mannered Ladies? Not yet. Not yet. But I saw the cover for it. And it's with my same publisher. And I think we might even have the same publishers publicist the author and I but yeah it looked really good to me my disclaimer is I have not read every romance author because that's the other thing is I never have a lot of time and rather than reading new ones I will constantly return to my old faves oh yeah me too um and also do you have any idea how many books have been released since you and I started talking there's so many all the time and so many that look good (laughs) yes and they'll have a blurb and I'll think oh my gosh that sounds Amazing. And not even just historical romance. I see other ones all the time and I'm like, oh my gosh, there was recently one. I think I shared it as like on my TBR list in my newsletter called, I think it's called Scarlet. And it's like the Scarlet Pimpernel, but with vampires. It's Genevieve Cogman. And I was like, oh my gosh, I have to read this book. But I just like literally have not even a spare minute then when I do, I'm like, I need to read something before bed. And I just go back to one you of go my, back to what's familiar because you an include, old favorite. Yeah. Well, like we said, when you know what the emotional experience will be, you know, it's a safe place to return because yeah. you're still going to I mean, it's it's wonderful how powerful books are when rereading still works. It's amazing. Yeah. And then I also find you pick up so many things on rereads. Yes. Even if you're a really close reader the first time, yeah. you different perspectives and I mean, heck, you know what? I do this with uh, TV shows, too. Like, I will rewatch the same miniseries so many times. Not always, like, on a constant loop, but I'm a constant rewatcher. Oh, me too. I rewatch the new adaptation of Howard's and new-ish. I mean, new to me. I think it might have been out in 2016, 2019. But the new adaptation of Howard's End, mm-hmm. I've rewatched that so many times. Pining. Pining. And ev- pining. And every time I get so angry at Mr. Wilcox... Why would she marry him? Yep. Can she see? <laughs> yep. Every time. Yeah. But you know what I think in times of stress in the world when there's lots of things in the greater world around, especially during long periods of political turmoil, oh, I yes. found a lot of comfort in either reading old favorites or the other thing I started doing, reading mystery where bad people in the end got held to account. <laughs> I really needed to see stories that at the end had justice. So satisfying, right? People who did bad things. Yeah, yeah, that was really important to me, but a lot of a lot of mystery reading. <laughs> yes. Thank you so much for doing this interview. Where can people oh, so find welcome. you if you wish to be found? Well, let's see. So probably the best place is my website at mimimatthews.com. There's all the info about me and my books there. um, And plus my history blog, which has tons of articles on everything you wanted to know about Victorians and probably lots of things you never wanted to know. (laughs) Um, (laughs) You wish you could forget. (laughs) 
Um, and then I'm also at the usual places, Facebook, Twitter, um, and more recently, Instagram. And, um, yeah, I think those are probably the best places and newsletter info and everything like that is on my website as well. And that brings us to the end of this week's episode. Thank you to Mimi for hanging out with me and talking all about all the things. I will have links to where you can find Mimi, plus all of the books we talked about in the show notes at smartbitchestrashybooks.com slash podcast. I have a joke and I have some sad news. So first, we will do the sad news. I wanted to let you know that we had to say goodbye to Zeb, the smaller of our two dogs, who is the one that most frequently was heard in the background of this podcast. He even had his own line in the transcript, thanks to Garlic Knitter. So if you ever read the transcript and saw Zeb bark, that would be him. We will miss him very, very much. And since he was an unintentional guest on many, many episodes, I wanted to share the news here. It's the worst part of pet ownership, right? It just, it just sucks. Just sucks out loud. But we were very lucky to have him for as long as we did. Oh, one more thing. I almost forgot. I have some additional news. Next week is a Heaving Bosoms crossover episode. Melody and I connected to recap and discuss Dragon Called by Cassie Alexander and Carol Lockhart. Now, we've done this before, and we always have a really good time. This book is available on Kindle Unlimited if you want to read beforehand, and it's a very quick read. Her episode will drop on Monday, and then my episode will drop on Friday. And I'll give you a taste of the cover copy so you can decide if this is for you. Desperate for money after her deadbeat brother left her holding the bill for his bail bond, night nurse Andy agrees to take on a mysterious one-time nursing gig. When she finds out her employer is ruthless billionaire and all-around asshole Damian Blackwood, she's determined to get the job done and get out as quickly as possible. But nothing is as it seems. Well, it never is. When a monster attacks, oops, and she is saved by an honest-to-God dragon, a golden-scaled, 60-foot-long, violent dragon who is clearly Damien's other half. Her world is spun sideways, but she can't forget the way he looked at her, like coveted treasure he's desperate to steal away for his hoard. <laughs> the way he reacted when she discovered his secret, the way that he was when he was human again, and he asked her, for a date. Da, da, da. Fierce and independent Andy doesn't trust easily. The expensive suits, fancy cars, and spooky castle cannot hide the truth. Damien is extremely dangerous, not to mention a monstrous beast. But there's a dragon, so you know I was on board, right? Right, of course. So the first half will drop on Monday in the Heaving Bosoms feed, and the second half will drop on Friday. And I hope you enjoy and will come along with us. And now, on to a terrible joke. Are you ready? Here we go. What do you call a Spanish man with a rubber toe. Give up what you call a Spanish man with a rubber toe? Roberto. <laughs> so bad. That, that comes from Reddit, from Zanil. And I'm deeply grateful for that joke because, I mean, even when you're really sad, bad jokes are, they're just, ah, chef kiss. On behalf of everyone here, we wish you the very best of reading. Have a wonderful week and we will see you back here next week. Smart Podcast Trashy Books is part of the Frolic Podcast Network. You can find outstanding podcasts to subscribe to at frolic.media slash podcasts. Botox Cosmetic, Atabotulinum Toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. 
For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you.